Hi, everybody, and welcome to the show. He's Max Goodman. I'm Tim Hackett, and together, this is Good Hacks. We're very excited to debut episode number two of our podcast covering all things baseball and beyond. Last week, we covered the National League and some of the moves and the shakes of the offseason in Major League Baseball. And so this week, we're going to take it on over to the American League. Max, let's start with perhaps the biggest story in the American League and maybe, I dare say, Major League Baseball as a whole. In the American League East, everybody knows we got the Red Sox and the Yankees, perennial World Series contenders, often the favorites. Of course, the Red Sox, the reigning champs. But there's another team in that division this year, a 90-win team from a season ago that stands with the best record in baseball at this point through about 25 games, the Tampa Bay Rays. It's the 16-9 and Tampa Bay Rays, Tim. You mentioned 90 wins last year. Let's take a look at the 2018 standings in the AL East. The Red Sox had 108 wins. The Yankees had 100, and the Rays a little bit below the radar had 90. And so you're thinking 90 wins, that's a hell of a season. Yeah. And you're really close to contending. Obviously, in other divisions, or perhaps in in the National League, that might have won them a wild card spot, potentially. So now fast forward to 2019, and the Rays are, dare I say, the hottest team in all of baseball. Maybe even the best team in all of baseball. Best record in baseball at this point. And so, so why is that? And you got to look at two players. On the offensive end, Austin Meadows. On the defensive end, Tyler Glasnow. Those guys, one could argue, are the best on their respective sides of the ball right now. Austin Meadows is currently first in OPS, .002 above Mike Trout. He's pretty good. <laughs> Who's that? And he's top five in the American League in average at 351. The guy has been raking thus far this season. And, of course, he did go down a couple days ago with a right thumb sprain. He's going to be out three weeks. I don't think it's panic mode for him yet. I think he will be able to come back and continue to produce. Now, as for pitching, obviously, Blake Snell, let's not forget his name. Come he on. won the Cy Young last year. Thank you. But Tyler Glasnow, four wins, that's tied for second in the AL, and a 1.53 ERA, that's best in the AL. 1.53 ERA with four wins. Yeah, and we're, you know, a month in. Right, 25 total games. It's about time to start to think that these guys are for real down in St. Pete. And let's... Let's think of the context for those two guys especially, lest we forget, and we talked about this, we hinted at it very briefly in our last episode. Austin Meadows and Tyler Glasnow weren't on the, that Rays team for much of last year. Meadows came up very late because they were in the Chris Archer trade. Those are the two centerpieces of the Chris Archer trade. And they also got Shane Boz, who's a player to be named later, who's at rookie ball right now. So, yeah, if you want to make the argument that those are the two best players, and Austin Meadows is one of, has one of the best batting averages across Major League Baseball, so certainly one of the best players in, across the league. I don't think that's unfair to say. But if those are your two team MVPs for this season, you gave up you know, your, one of your former faces for those two guys and a throw-in, added, uh, a throw-in addition like Boz is, that's just remarkable to me. Uh, it's tough it was tough, I guess, for the Rays to give up a guy like Chris Archer. And you, uh, we talked about the Padre, excuse me, the Pirates rotation last week. But um, I th- at this point, that trade is looking really, really good for Tampa oh, Bay. Oh, Tim, I think that they absolutely fleeced the Pirates. And maybe when they made that deal, the Rays fans 
are thinking, oh man, I love Chris Archer. He's been the face of our pitching staff. He's so energetic. He's a fun guy. I'm going to hate to see him go. And I don't know who these guys are just yet. No. But in reality, I mean, they were kind of touted prospects. Austin we Meadows haven't seen were, much of them yet. Yeah. But If you didn't watch the Pirates, you didn't see any of Tyler right, Glasnow. Right. But they're really hitting their stride early on this year, and I think that Rays fans should be ecstatic about where this team can go. And we haven't even talked about their bullpen yet, Tim. Jose Alvarado and Diego Castillo are a lefty and a righty, respectively. But shout-out to Pitching Ninja, as Tim showed <laughs> me this a couple weeks ago. There was a a gif of the two of them pitching from both sides, and they would flip Diego Castillo, so he looked like he was a lefty. And Tim, they're exactly the same. They both throw 100, yeah. 99-ish. They both have devastating movement, two-seam fastballs cutting in, devastating drop-down sliders going down and away. And both of these guys have been... You know, I don't have the stat in front of me right now, but they're one of the most effective reliever duos. Um, which one of them has been closing games so far? Alvarado. Alvarado's been closing games, but Castillo as a setup man has been incredibly effective as well. And we know that the Rays are ahead of the game analytically and with certain tactics with, uh, with Cash as their manager as they have the opener going sometimes. Yeah. So that's going to give Snell and Glasnow and their starters a couple extra days sometimes. But they have these effective relievers. They're using everybody to their strengths, and they have a deep lineup too. All things are pointing to, I think, contention this year for Tampa Bay. I think this is the ultimate question for this week and really for this entire season for the American League. I guess we'll ask the ultimate question right now and then zoom back out overall. Are the Rays legit this season? Do they have a legitimate chance to go? Let's not let's not get too far ahead of ourselves just yet. There's a lot of baseball left to be played, 140 games or so. But the ultimate first step question, are the Rays good enough to make the playoffs this year? Because this is not a team that anybody would have really predicted to be first in the division and first in the league at this point of the season. Honestly, I can see a scenario where the Rays – the Red Sox, and the Yankees all make the postseason. And I'm not going to say which team is in which position. Sure. Because it is a little too early to tell. I agree. And Tim, I think it's a good time to transition to those other two teams. Great. Because Boston has been mediocre thus far. Yeah, they've honestly been pretty poor. They've been underperforming across the board. And then i got to cut the Yankees a little bit of slack. I mean, they've been playing pretty well with some no-names to a lot of fans. Sure. I mean, if you know the Yankees farm system, you're going to know a lot of these guys being called up. But 15 people have been put on the injury list for the Yankees thus far. If you compiled a team with these names, and we'll read them off for you. This is a really good team. You would have a really <laughs> solid team. A team that is far better than like the Baltimore Orioles or, or a, a low-level Major League franchise. You would at least expect them to contend. Right, so we've got Miguel Andujar, right. Didi Gregorius, right. Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, there you Troy Tulowitzki. That's the middle of your order right there. And now Clint Frazier, who was, Frazier. the only reason he's on this list is because he he's, got called up to replace the other names. So that's, that's fair. That's six offensive names. Yep. I'm forgetting Greg Bird and Jacoby Ellsbury. That's Pieces. that's that's a, that's a starting lineup that right a, there, it's a starting. It's almost a starting lineup. But it's not just offense. Dylan Betances, one of the most effective 
you know, right-handed relief pitchers in all of baseball yeah, in the my, last couple of years. My favorite setup man in the league. Sure, He's on the IL as well. And then as for starters, Luis Severino, he was going to be their opening day guy, yep. and he went down too. And when you look at the expected return, a lot of these, there's a TBD on here. <laughs> there's a lot of May, so these guys are going to be coming back soon. But, you know, you're not getting Stanton and Judge back potentially until July. And there's a lot of games until July, no Tim. That's the, the dog days of summer haven't even occurred yet. No, it's, it's still so, chilly up here. It's very chilly. So, you know, can the Rays get to the postseason in this division? It's a little too early to tell, but I think so. I think that if if the two trends that we've been talking about here are, are going to continue, it, it it's a toss-up. I mean, the Yankees have 14 wins right now. The Red Sox have 11. The Red Sox are in second to last place in the division. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the Red Sox. Chris Sale has been very much underperforming, and I think that a lot of that, we talk about injuries for the Yankees, his fastball speed is is down significantly. This is a study that I've read by multiple people, that his fastball average velocity at this point, again, obviously not very long, and he's made five starts and has pitched 23 innings. Still not a very big sample size, but his fastball velocity at this point of the season is down an average of three miles per hour than it was over the course of last season. It's a significant it's amount. Sig- and it doesn't seem like a whole lot necessarily, but you can attest to this better than I can. Maybe not at quite this level, but obviously if you're throwing 96, normally hitters are expecting that, and you're now dipping that to 93. That's a significant difference, especially when you as the pitcher are expecting that you can throw 96 and mix that in with yeah. all the other great things that Chris Sale does. Well, right. I mean, for a guy like Sale who in his Chicago White Sox days, was throwing you know up and in maybe at 96, and then the next pitch is down and away, high 80s with a slider. Right. The outlook as a hitter is going to change significantly if that fastball is coming in a lot slower. You know, it's it's minute, but they're going to have more time to be able to watch the pitch, maybe even guess and then react. If the fastball is low 90s and then late in the game high 80s, right. It totally changes everything. It changes that it changes everything. Yeah, it's a minute difference statistically, perhaps, when you talk about a number that high, but it's I think it's a significant difference in terms of hitter approach. Remember we talked about this a couple of years ago with the precipitous decline of Jared Weaver? You can trace yeah. his career arc, and he never was as overpowering as even a guy like Sale. It you know, I think we can still say is, but I don't have these numbers up immediately, but you know, the last couple of years, you could track this easily. Weaver had his fastball consistently at 92, 93 or whatever. Then it fell off. He would hit 86 as the top of his fastball. So and that was when he was at his worst, and now he's not even in the league. So it's kind of funny that we're talking about Jared Weaver in 2019, but that is – I'm not saying that that's going to happen to Chris Sale. I think that's ridiculous. I think Chris Sale is a better pitcher than Jared Weaver was, but – the, the point is this trend of his fastball velocity dipping has some precedent and I think is some cause for concern unless it's injury-related building up from last season. You could also potentially point to a little bit of a championship hangover, maybe. I don't think that's necessarily a quantifiable stat. You can't say, oh, an extra five days in, in uh, Barbados <laughs> with the family is going to, you know, dip your average by plus minus 
X. I, I don't think that that's something that we can say. No. But when you look at the, the Red Sox roster compared to the roster that won the World Series last year, there hasn't really been that much of, of a change. No. I in mean, terms of personnel. In terms of personnel, right. That's what I meant. It, obviously, Kimbrel's gone. Yeah. And we can talk about Kimbrel being an asset for many teams throughout this year until he finally signs. But from a lineup perspective, Mookie Betts and J.D. Martinez are still in the middle of their lineup and still two of the best hitters in, in the entire game. Unquestionable. But everybody from Jackie Bradley all the way to Steve Pierce, they're still there. Yep. And I think that it's simply been just underperforming. So you really can't necessarily count the team out because you'd like to think that all of their stats are going to improve. At least their their better players sure. are. But also you're wondering, what's the deal here? And are they going to be able to turn it around? I mean, you look at the stats specifically, the Red Sox are in the bottom third in the American League in average home runs and runs on the offensive side. And on the defensive side, or pitching side, they're the bottom third in the league in ERA, opposing batting average, and opposing on-base percentage. So it's both sides of the ball. It's not just one person. No. It's, it's everybody. And if I'm a fan, I'm, I'm concerned and I'm not thrilled that they're losing all these games. I think I'm going to be okay. I can still get sleep at night. But <laughs> the fact that the Rays are creeping and the Yankees are the Yankees, so good. Still, still the Yankees. It's, it's worrisome. You know, World's, World Series pennant will help you sleep a little bit better at night. keeps the it keeps the heat in a little bit. That's I true. Mean, the start the starter the starters ERAs on this team are just absolutely jaw dropping in a bad way. You have one solid performer in David Price who's allowed ten earned runs over twenty four innings. That's solid. But we talked about Sale already. He's been poor. Rick Porcello has been just as bad. They've both allowed nineteen total earned runs over twenty three innings, a seven forty three earned run average. And then Nathan Yavaldi, a guy who I really like, has not been very good to start the year, and neither has Eduardo Rodriguez. So those are your four starters. David Price is your fifth, obviously not in that order, but four of your five starters have not been very good, which is the exact opposite of what we've talked about with the Rays, who have, I still think, uh, I can't, I'm not sure about this exactly, but let's safely say one of the best starter ERAs across baseball. You mentioned Glasnow. Of course, Blake Snell, reigning Cy Young, missed the game due to an injury his last start. After that injury wasn't great, only went three plus. And then Charlie Morton, who I think is one of the best underrated offseason acquisitions by any team, has unsurprisingly slotted into that number two spot in that rotation. It has been fantastic. So you've got three excellent starters, or at least let's you know be smarter about it and say three starters that have played extremely well to this point versus the Red Sox, where you have no production out of your starters. And so everybody out of this bullpen has had to throw double-digit innings. They've been good. Marcus Walden and Braden Workman have been solid. And Ryan Brazier, I think, is an underrated guy. Now taking those save opportunities that Craig Kimbrell has, or used to have, and he's converted six out of seven of them. So he's been very good so far this season. But those expected guys, like you said, their pitchers, their starters especially, haven't really held up so far. Right, and, and while... Guys on the Red Sox haven't been performing. It's been really the complete opposite for the Yankees. Right, that's the issue. As these these young guys are are filling in and doing exactly what the Yankees need to bide their time until their all-stars and MVP guys get back. I mean, I didn't know who Mike Talkman yeah. and I knew who Giro Urshela was, but Mike Ford... And now you, you, you tune into a Yankees game and these guys are getting their first career hits. 
They're making their first career diving plays. <laughs> they're, you know, hitting the ball to the right side to get the guy over for the first time in their career. They're new, but they're doing exactly what manager Aaron Boone needs. And so you put all of these three things together, these three teams, and it's such an intriguing situation to me. And again, it's too early to tell. We talked about this last week, that it's only 20 games in, almost a month. So we're going to have to be patient. We can't we can't uh, prophesize too, too much. But all three of these teams are there. And I think it's certainly something to keep an eye on. So I think that's definitely the ultimate play. And I was trying to get you to bite a little bit. I'm glad you didn't. I think it is absolutely too early to say, you know, the Rays are legitimate World Series contenders. That's silly that it would hold up. And you would imagine the Red Sox would smooth out the rough edges and the Yankees obviously are going to get some of these players back healthy. Once that happens, because I think you have to say once, not if, for both of those two cases, you would imagine that the Red Sox and the Yankees, as they always are, will be back at the top of this league. But then the question becomes, you have two wild card spots. We talked about this a little bit last week with the NL Central. It's entirely possible that those two wild card spots go to two teams in the AL East. Now let's zoom out a little bit and talk about the rest of the American League as a whole because the question becomes, last year, what we saw in the playoffs, so obviously you had you know the Red Sox, Houston, and Cleveland, two teams that we'll talk about, winning the division, and then the Yankees just behind, like we talked about a minute ago, and the, and the Oakland A's. Those were your two wildcard teams, and the A's won that game. So now the question becomes, what team is going to slide in there and become that fifth team, or will we see those same five teams again? Let's talk about maybe the AL Central first, because we've got actually a pretty intriguing race so far. In my mind, at the start of the season, probably wasn't going to be a very close race. Really what we saw last year was going to be what we saw this year was my prediction, but this point in the season, it's very close, one game, but right now it's the Minnesota Twins that are in tops in the division. Do you think that's the best team in the AL Central? Tim, I think we're we're not on the same page. Usually we are. We are, usually. But, but in, in this case, I think that we disagree. I think that the Twins are the team to beat in this division. Whereas you're you're more of a, a Cleveland supporter in this situation. Uh, yeah, we could tip the we could tip the hand a little bit. That's so, certainly my pick still. So last year Cleveland had ninety one wins. Minnesota was in second place thirteen games back. Right. So obviously, as you said, the one team came out of the central the Indians into the postseason. And just for comparison, we talked about this, but the Rays were eighteen games behind first place in their division they had ninety wins. That's crazy. I mean the it's it's insane. It's so unfortunate for those teams that are playing really well, but in a division that doesn't allow them to make the postseason. Sure. But I digress. The Indians, in terms of roster turnover, I think that their pitching rotation is still one of the best in baseball. I think you people, people could certainly make the argument that it is the best. When you talk about a 1-2-3 in Kluber, in Bauer, in Carrasco, yep. in, in any order, in any day, in any location, those three guys can... You know, if it's a road series, you go into Kansas City, you come out with three wins. You go into Oakland, you come out with three wins. And it happens with the snap of a finger. Because they're so good and so potent that even if you prepare for them and you have a great offense, they're still going to – each of them could toss seven innings of five-hit ball and one-run ball, and and there's nothing you can do about it. The thing about that team, though, I think is is their offense. And their lineup, to me – 
it's it's not the same as the lineup that got them to the World Series a couple years ago. They don't have the the big boppers in the middle with with an Edwin Encarnacion, a a primetime Mike Napoli. <laughs> right now, Jake Bowers is their four hitter, and no disrespect to Jake Bowers. We're talking about the Rays. I think that and still hurts. You know, Frankie Lindor being hurt, but we were looking at Jose Ramirez's numbers, and he was an MVP candidate last year. Sure. He's hitting sub 200 right now. Um, 172. With two homers. Right now their best hitter is Leonis Martin. And, you know, when you think of the Indians, you don't think of Leonis Martin being your best hitter. Absolutely not. He's He's got five home runs, which leads the team. So injuries aside, is, is a team led by Tyler Naquin and Cargo? And at the end of his career, going to win a division? I don't know. I mean, their their pitching rotation could conceivably carry them, but but this is why I think that the Twins are better. So so what's your pitch? No pun intended for why why the Indians can can come away with this. Well, and I'll, th- I'll tell you why the Twins are better. Yeah, I think I think you, you said injuries aside, but I don't know that we can fully put injuries aside. We have a couple of important contributors in this team that have been injured. You mentioned Francisco Lindor has only played six games. 7 of 27 in those six games. And then Jason Kepnes was just brought up from a rehab assignment along the same time as Carlos Gonzalez, who was not in on a rehab assignment to my knowledge, but he was just kind of out there, uh, out in AAA, kind of feeling it out. And I watched him play a game earlier this year where he absolutely stroked the ball. So he absolutely still has that extra base potential, that home run potential that made him a former MVP candidate. He's really not going to be an everyday player anymore necessarily, but he's going to be a platoon corner outfielder DH type that can still hit home runs. I've actually never been a huge Jason Kipnis fan. was never a huge Lonnie Chisenhall fan. I like Michael Brantley. He's not on the team anymore, obviously, but was never a huge Michael Brantley fan. So Chisenhall and Brantley are both gone. Kipnis is still getting back. My point is, even though I wasn't a huge fan of those guys, I still thought that that team was capable. And now you get rid of those two guys and you can have some of your younger guys like a Tyler Naquin who has been working in the wings for a long time as your leadoff hitting center fielder type of prospect. He's been at the edges for so long. I think he's capable. Obviously, you've got Leonis Martin to play that same role. Jake Bowers is now playing the outfield because you have Carlos Santana as your veteran middle-of-the-order hitter. And if Francisco Lindor, we know what he can be. We just talked about Xander Bogarts, maybe one of the better shortstops in the league. Francisco Lindor right up there as well with you know Carlos Correa in the mix as well. These are legitimate players, I think. And if Carrasco can help smooth things out, they get Mike Clevenger back from the injured list in a week or two, maybe longer than that at this point. Regardless, if that helps to shore up that rotation some more, Brad Hand's a solid option at the end of the bullpen. I still think there's no reason that this team shouldn't be the front runners for the division at the end of the season. When you say it like that, it's certainly tempting to, to pick the Indians. But the Twins have been pretty hot so far. And when you talk about teams that made some offseason moves, I think you look no further than Minnesota in the fact that they signed Nelson Cruz, Jonathan Scope, C.J. Crone, and Jake Odorizzi, to name a few, to, to help their rotation. Sure. And in-house, Jorge Polanco and Eddie Rosario, respectively, have a 1.6 and 1.5 war this year. That's third and fourth in all of the American League. 
So those are guys that, unless you're watching the Twins every day, you're not necessarily hearing those names all that much. But Eddie Rosario is is up there in the tops of the American League in home runs. Yep. I believe 11. he has 11 now. He has 11 now. Right. So through and through, I think that this lineup is far better than Cleveland's. And so the, the, the big deciding factor is, do they have the pitching staff? I... I think that they're one move away from having the pitching staff. And like we were talking about last week with with a team like the Brewers, who are maybe in a, a similar situation in terms of their lineup being really, really good, their pitching staff not having as many names that you can you can trust just yet. Uh, Jose Barrios is, is incredible. Yep, he's great. I think he reminds me a whole lot of Jose Fernandez with his curveball movement and the, the speed on his fastball. I praise coming from you. Yeah, I mean, I I love pitchers like that. Um, I've been a big yeah to you. I mean, I'm the same way. I've been a big fan of Jose Barrios for a very long time. I saw him as a top of the order AAA starter. He was always that way. As soon as he made AAA, he's been that way. As soon as he got promoted to the big leagues, I'm happy for him. It's just worried. Yeah. You mentioned the in-house guys. This is the Twins are a prime example of an organization that is built a lot of their core guys from the draft and has developed is look at all these hitters. You just mentioned Rosario and Polanco go a step further with Mitch Garver, go a step further with Byron Buxton, Max Kepler. All these guys have been guys that they have cultivated for a long time. I like that in a team. I think that's just cool. You obviously don't have to do that. And that's not necessarily the quick path to success. And then you have to augment that with guys that you bring in. You just mentioned bringing in a guy like CJ Crone, who's officially a veteran at this point, fresh off of a 30 home run season with the Rays, a couple of decent years with the Angels before that. Nelson Cruz is going to be a Hall of Famer quite probably. So that's those are great ways to augment a core that you have built, and I respect the hell out of that. Just just in a, a a comparison, when you look at in the American League. The Twins are currently fifth with 121 runs. Cleveland is second to last and 14th with 92. Offense has been really bad for the Indians this year, no doubt. So just based on those factors, the Indians might have a better rotation, but I think that the Twins have a far better offense. And another another trend to certainly watch down the road with, with this season. Ken, so, no, go ahead. No, I was going to say, like that's I was going to pitch this question to you earlier. And then I was going to back out of it saying, well, you don't really get to see these teams play in a postseason series. But that's the joy of baseball is you don't need to have a postseason series because obviously how the schedule works, you have real series during the regular season. So if Minnesota and Cleveland play in a head-to-head, let's make it a four-game series, does Cleveland's pitching staff give them the upper hand? Like you said, they roll into Oakland, have a three-game series. If you roll out Kluber and uh, Carrasco and Bauer, and then maybe even Shane Bieber in a four-game series. Let's do that. If that's your four-game rotation, doesn't that give Cleveland the upper hand? If you say game one is a wash, Kluber against Berrios, that could go either way. If you have Trevor Bauer against Kyle Gibson in game two to set the tone, doesn't that give Cleveland the advantage, the upper hand? It's good hitting against good pitching. And it's tough to say, but I think that in let's say three consecutive games with those three guys pitching for Cleveland. I think in in one of those three, the Twins lineup gets to them. And in all of those three, Cleveland is not hitting. Because I I said how many runs they have, and I'm going to continue. Cleveland is dead last in hits, 161. 
to put that into perspective, Seattle is currently first with 256, almost 100 more hits. Sure. In home runs, Minnesota is fifth with 37, Cleveland second to last with 19. In total bases, Minnesota sixth with 372, Cleveland dead last with 250. Cleveland is behind teams like Detroit, like Baltimore, like Kansas City that are we're not even going to be talking about them in this division because we know that they're not supposed to contend. And that's what kind of bothers me about this Indians team that, sure, when, when Lindor and Ramirez come back and start to get it going, they're, they're going to be a better hitting team. But they're not making any sort of effort to, to get better on offense. And the prime of Kluber is, you know, time's ticking. Waiting, sure. Uh, we know Bauer is is the kind of guy who only wants to sign one-year deals. He doesn't want to do anything long-term. Interesting guy. Very interesting guy. Very good pitcher. Um, he's kind of like the Pat McAfee of, of baseball. <laughs> Somebody was watching the NFL draft today. Um, anyways, though, I just think that that the, the good-hitting team of Minnesota is going to get to one of those good pitchers at least once. And I know this is like the hypothetical series between the two of them to win the division, which is a cumulative effort. But there's a chance it comes down to one series. That's true. I I just think it comes down to to, to the Twins being the betting hit, better hitting team. And this is before Miguel Sano has even hit his stride. And we know Nelly Cruz has the experience. And again, Polanco and uh and Rosario are just doing big things. And it's time for, for the league to take notice. And the, 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 the bigger arching question is, can can the Twins contend for a spot if Cleveland's also going to make the right. postseason while the Rays are doing so well in the East? And this is before we even talked about the West, Tim. Yep, there's one other division out there headlined by another very hot-hitting team, the Seattle Mariners, which set a major league record with 20 straight games with a home run to start this season. At least one home run, mind you. This is other than the Rays, I dare say. The biggest surprise success story in Major League Baseball to this point. Absolutely. Now I think now let's let's be honest. I think if people were paying attention closely to Major League Baseball last year, you might have known that the Rays were pretty good. But most people don't know Mariners. quite how no the Rays. Oh, the Rays. Okay. And now this now this year, I think the Rays are now finally showing some of the potential that people might have seen them flash last year. The Mariners were not really on that level, in my opinion, last year. Now, right. all of a sudden, they have one of the best records in baseball, but they have slowed of late. It's true. I mean, they started, they went to Japan for that series. They ran away with a couple games against Oakland. And I want to say in their first, like, 15 games, they won, what, 12 of them? Um, you mentioned the home run streak. Right now, they're they're only 0.5 games ahead of the Astros. So like you said, they're definitely cooling down. But, I mean, this is a team that when they made the deal with, with the Mets to get rid of Edwin Diaz and Robinson Cano, you kind of thought, oh, I guess they, they might be trying to rebuild. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a division where the Astros are going to be at the top of that division for years to come. So it would make sense to maybe try to, you know, shoot for, for five years down the line or, or whatever it may be. Uh, trading away Alex Colome, trading away Mike Zunino. Yeah. The the writing was on the wall there, and now all of a sudden, they, they were the they're first in the division. 
But mind you, this is because certain guys have just been absolutely scorching hot so far, Tim, but I don't think that they can necessarily maintain this for a whole season. Tim Beckham was hitting like 550 or something like that after after a solid week or two, and now he's hitting 304. So he's cooled off significantly. And I mean, when you look at the the league leaders in RBI, Domingo Santana, who they got from Milwaukee in the Ben Gamel trade, he has 29. But is he really the best RBI hitter in all of the American League? I don't know. I, I, I would wager to say no. Probably not. So is Dan Vogelbach going to continue to hit another 40 home runs this year? I don't know. Again, I'd, I'd wager to say probably not. So it's a good team. It's a surprisingly good team. Yeah. But, Tim, I don't think that they're they're going to, in in five months be as good as they are now. I certainly can't disagree. This is this is why it's so surprising. I like this lineup quite a lot, Max, but I mean, look, this is the thing that kind of we were talking about this with the Rays as well. You know who's lurking behind them? You've got the Astros who are, you know, projected to win the division for the next 10 years or whatever with the core that they have. And then the A's, which of course as we already mentioned, were a postseason team last year. So before we get off the Mariners too, you know, officially, it's tough for them to. It will be tough for them to sustain this early success, which I think we've already seen. Is they lost six straight games against the Indians and the Astros, who the two postseason teams, teams from those. Good right, teams. and even if you know, even if we don't agree that if on which is the best team of the division, for all intents and purposes, two of the better teams in the league. And they lost all six to stop their hot streak. And now I think the Mariners are certainly on a bit of a cold streak. But I, I like this lineup. I think top to bottom, it is more than capable, even with Omar Narvaez as the catcher, which is not something I would have expected to say. End to end, it's a capable lineup with maybe somebody like Jay Bruce, who extended that home run streak and has nine home runs at this point in the season. That's a solid lineup. Now, the pitching, I think, still may be a bit of a question mark for me. I was, you know, just from a sentimental standpoint, sad that Felix Hernandez wasn't the opening day starter this year. Right. But, I mean, from a, you know, a management perspective, then obviously you have to say fair enough. But, I mean, they haven't really had too much success from their starting pitching so far. Besides a guy that you pointed out to me, Marco Gonzalez, obviously a formerly from the Cardinals and one or two other teams in his career, was kind of your fifth starter or long guy when he was in St. Louis. Now he's their best starting pitcher so far this season. He's thrown 45 innings and seven starts. And is, what, his tops in the league, I think, with five total wins. He's got five wins. Glasnow, Kashner, and Verlander have four. Frankie Montes in Oakland also has four. As a guy. So, I mean, Gonzalez has been playing incredibly well so far. Very good so far. And uh, Ruenus Ilias... He's been great for them in the closing role, yeah. uh, filling the void that that now Diaz has left since he's been gone. But what what I'm thinking about here is that their their management has has a little bit of a intriguing situation on their hands come come the trade deadline. Again, I think that they were leaning towards rebuilding, and now all of a sudden they're playing really good baseball. So option one. Come the trade deadline, they've continued to play well 
and they got to start to go all in and maybe make some deals to get better or they start to cool off significantly and then you start to see Ryan Healy being traded or D Gordon being traded or a couple other guys being dealt. So something we got to keep an eye on. And while the Mariners may end up dealing at the deadline, if you look at their stats so far, you know, leading the lead in total, leading the AL in total bases and home runs and hits, but Houston is breathing on them in second and third in all of these offensive categories. And Houston is not exactly overperforming right now. And so that's why I think that this division is pretty much wrapped up in the sense that unless all the planets align and Seattle is able to continue this hot stretch, I think Houston will continue to play even better and eventually run away with things. Look at the bullpen so far for Houston. And I didn't want to go too specific necessarily, but we did this for the Dodgers and one or two other teams last week. So I feel it's fair enough to just spell out through their first, you know, however many 25 or so games, their three main guys out of the bullpen have combined to allow one total earned run and one total run across a combined, just to do some quick math here, 20 innings pitched among the three of them. Will Harris, Ryan Presley, and Roberto Osuna. And Osuna's the only one that's allowed an earned run over 20-plus combined innings pitched. That's remarkable to me. We talked about, you know, the three... You know, headed monster, whatever you know, expression you want to use for the bullpen. We've seen this from guys in the past. You know, the the prevailing reference is always going to be the Royals for what they did for their two years of success with their three guys out of the pen. If the Astros can throw something like that, and Will Harris is a little bit of a different animal, I guess. But they have three reliable guys to come out of the bullpen. You mix in another guy like a Hector Rondon in there as well to maybe give you an, give you another inning or a little bit of length behind their starters, which we imagine are going to be pretty good. Just look at who they have. I mean, Garrett Cole has scuffled a little bit to start the year, and he's still been fine. But Verlander, ace of the staff, obviously. They had that pitching duel at the start of the year with Snell against Verlander to Mm -hmm. open the season. Hello, how about that for a pitching matchup (laughs) in the postseason? Then after Verlander, you've got Cole and Wade Miley, who has had a really good season. That is a really, really good 1-2-3. Mix in a guy as dirty as Colin McHugh. Then round that out with Brad Peacock who's always been a long reliever spot starter type of guy when he needs to be. This is still, this was, you know, the question coming into this season, which team in the in major league baseball had the best starting rotation. All three choices were from the American league, the Red Sox, the Indians, or the Astros. Yeah. And it's a fascinating, I mean, we talked about how poor the Red Sox rotation has been so far this season, but still, even with Rick Porcello, who I don't love, you bet you'd love to have any of those rotations if you're going to start building a team. I'd love to have the Astros rotation. Houston has a 3.61 overall ERA. That's fourth in the league, the American League. Cleveland is second with a 3.47, and Tampa Bay is first with a 3.07. Also worth noting for Houston that Lance McCullers is going to be done for the entire year with Tommy John, or at least that's what it appears to be. And... Morton going to Tampa Bay. So those two guys are big losses. And Dallas Keuchel. And Dallas Keuchel, too, which we still don't know what his plans are. Yeah, don't know. But with all things considered, I think that Houston will absolutely win this division, and it's not going to be too, too close. Let's go back to the overarching question, I guess, in the American League. We mentioned this briefly at the start of the show and last week. There's every chance that 
you have three playoff teams when all is said and done come from one division in the National League. Now, obviously, that could be one of a couple of different divisions, perhaps. But I think at this point, we see that there might be two contenders, main contenders in the Central, two or three in the West. But what do you think the chances are that the th- that three of the five playoff teams in the American League come out of the AL East? I think the chances are high, Tim. And sure, it might be a little early to predict, but my prediction is going to be that the Yankees win the division in the AL East, that the Rays come in second, and that the Red Sox come in third. The Red Sox are going to pull it together. They might make a couple deals. They might need to figure things. They're going to need to figure things out, but they're going to do just enough to get in, and they'll win the second wild card because I think that they'll still have a better record than a team like Oakland, than a team like... Cleveland, because I think Minnesota is going to win the Central, and Houston will run away with the West. So we'll see. You're going to hear you're going to hear a lot from us until these things actually transpire. But what about you? What do you think? I think yeah, the same. I think there's every chance that those three teams, in some order or another, some permutation, are going to be the three of the five teams that make the postseason, which is kind of crazy to think about. Like we talked about plenty of times already, they were close. For that being the case, last season and the A's were better down the stretch than were the Rays. They deserved to be the playoff team. But I think this year there's every chance that, yeah, like you said, even just outside of it, if the Rays are the number three team in the division, think that that's a better team than Oakland is this year. And if Oakland's the number two team in their division, I think the Rays are better. So if that's how everything stacks up overall, and that's going to be your wildcard team. But, but from a big picture standpoint, Tim, this is why I love baseball. And it's so different than like an NBA season where you're like, oh, okay, Golden State's going to run away with things. Right now, I don't see any one team being the, you know, odds-all favorite to win their division, uh, to win win their league, yeah. to, to go to the World Series. That's That was going to be the question, yeah. Like- so you, I, I took back division because I think Houston will run away with the West. I think Minnesota will win the, the Central. But... The fact that every single game, even if it's only April 26th, every single game matters is so exciting to watch. And as a fan, you love the fact that all of these divisions are going to be close until the end. And we talked about the National League already, with the National League East having so many contending teams. So I think we're in for a treat in 2019. And I think that all of these teams that we've been talking about today... are going to stick around for a couple more years to come after this as well. No runaway favorites to win divisions conferences or even the world series at this point which is pretty surprising will make for an awesome regular season leading up to the postseason come october well a lot more games to go before we even can consider those kinds of possibilities and we're excited to be here with you taking you through the 2019 major league baseball season stay tuned for later episodes coming up stay tuned for some other kinds of content coming your way as well we'll dip into some other forms of baseball maybe a little bit outside of that as well but we're really excited to bring you the rest of our coverage as this season unfolds i'm tim hackett he's max goodman this has been good hacks episode two thank you for listening we'll see you next time until then so long